Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Sight Fishing for Redfish in Louisiana Marshes. We're going to be talking to Apt Captain Alan Kane of Sightfish NC. Spends about nine months in uh, Wilmington, Wrightsville Beach, and three months down in Louisiana. And he's going to be our guest. He's going to walk us through what to expect and what we can learn from a day on his boat down there in the Louisiana marshes site fishing for Red Drum. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post, and Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends and ask them to share their insights, their knowledge, on how to catch more fish more often. And in this project and in this podcast series, I'm joined uh, this week, as I am every week, with my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, welcome to another special episode, this travel feature we're doing in January. And uh, I'm excited to talk to Alan about what he's got going on down there in Louisiana. Yeah, man, Alan's a good guy. I know him from the uh, Wilmington, Wrightsville Beach area. Uh, seen him at the boat ramp a few times when I was obviously fishing on someone else's boat. <laughs> so yeah, super good guy. Looking forward to all the info that he'll bring on the episode. Uh, so yeah, Gary, it's been good, man. Everything going good your way. So you got your, your hoodie on, so it must be cold there. I'm a little cold. It's a, you know, it's a winter show. It's a little cold. Um, actually I just didn't want to wear a white t-shirt for two podcasts in a row. Oh. Uh, so I kind of made the game time. I mean, I wear a lot of white t-shirts. I don't know if you know that about me. I know you do know that about me, which is, I'm sort of saying this for the audience. So yeah, man, the blue hoodie, the blue hoodie made it. It's not that cold here. I just needed to not be wearing the same thing. Really? Gary just wanted to cover up his, his ketchup stain, mustard and ketchup. I <laughs> coffee, know. coffee stain. Coffee stain. <laughs> well, I'm always wearing a black t-shirt always. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, but yeah, well, Definitely going to get to it. Uh, thanking our sponsors first and foremost. So I want to thank Bland Landscaping Company. Uh, they reached out to us. They love the podcast. They're an outdoors-minded company, and they're looking for people who are career-minded to come and be a part of their team. Uh, so you can go to their website, go to the career section of it, and uh, and apply there and see what jobs, uh, career opportunities, I should say, because it's definitely a career-style business. A lot of perks to that business. I actually thought about. Uh, retiring from the podcast industry and going over there, Gary, and figuring out how I could fit in. So all those perks. And then <laughs> they'll find a role for you. Yeah. You better not be bluffing because they will, man. They're a great company. So just even for you, they'll find a role. Yeah. Right. They'd be like, uh, we don't need any clowns. Go home. All right, kid. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, go check those guys out. Blandlandscaping dot com slash careers and see if they have some opportunity that would be a great fit for you and apply for it. And then our longest running sponsor, Marine Warehouse Center, really grateful that they signed back on. Um, this is really they're part of the part of the show, part of the uh, the crew here. So wouldn't be able to do this without them. I got a quick message from them, and I'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. There it is, man. 
Great dudes. Emmett, Terrell, love them both. And yes, very, very fond of Marine Warehouse Center. Was fond of them before the podcast. Even more fond of them now because they have embraced this and they are a good fit. I mean, I love affiliating with them. Um, sales parts, service, the whole nine yards, and just those dudes, Emmett and Terrell. And, um, you know, as I think I mentioned before, Terrell, I just found out at a party um, that Terrell got his first email address in 2021. And man, do I wish we could get that email address and just post it all over this podcast and have everyone blow up his email address. But just because he got one doesn't mean he's reading it, I guess. I mean, I'm not sure. So I didn't ask enough follow-up questions. But Terrell did reach out. He does have a joke. Again, you are more fond of Terrell's jokes than I am. Let's see. You tell me, Billy, how Terrell's doing in 2022. Again, Terrell's joke. Not mine. Sure. He said, have you heard about the Bluetooth iceberg? Um, Bluetooth iceberg? Yeah, the Bluetooth iceberg. Never heard of that. Well, any ship that goes near it will sink. Because, <laughs> you know, Bluetooth. You sink with Bluetooth. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Gary, you got to get jokes that, that I can probably figure out. I got to. This is Terrell's joke. <laughs> oh, Terrell. Yeah, sorry, Terrell. I don't know. Somebody go to Terrell and give him better jokes. Just write down email him and then email him. Let's we'll just start out. blowing up his email. With, I'm going to work on getting that email address. Let's start blowing it up with, with fishing and boating jokes. He'd be like, what in the world is going on? I got a cast net. I got a cast net for whoever sends him the most jokes. <laughs> this is perfect. I love that. We had a cast net giveaway for whoever submits the most jokes to Daryl uh, via snail mail. Actually, just write them all down and mail them to him one at a time. And whoever gets the most wins. <laughs> too much fun we'll, here. We'll, we'll flesh that idea out <laughs> off camera but right now let's uh let's finish up and so i can introduce our guest man speaking of coffee stains on my white t-shirt yeah yeah you can go over to buymeacoffee.com slash fisherman's post and support gary and i and buy us a coffee uh so we are shooting most of these late at night so it gets a uh, we get a little drained so we need some of that coffee money <laughs> and we really appreciate everyone who has contributed and supported us as content creators really appreciate that and then also if you want to be a sponsor of the show uh, feel free to reach out to me billy at fishermanspost.com and we can see what we got going on for you Right on, man. I appreciate it. And then here, my reminder to you before I bring out Captain Alan Kane, Billy's best takeaway. So at the end of my discussion with him about Louisiana marshes and sight fishing redfish, Billy's best yeah. takeaway. But before we get there, Gary, I'm going to show you a fish picture because we almost forgot. And here it is. Greg O caught this eight-pound red drum on a live shrimp in Buzzards Bay near Fort Fisher. Now, Gary, the question is, does that look like an eight-pound drum to you? No, I think the question is, will you please repeat his last name for me again? His last name is Greg O, because I can't pronounce it. <laughs> I wasn't going to butcher it, so I just figured I would go the easy route. <laughs> just call him a liar about the eight-pound redfish. And call You're going to say, I, I'm not even going to attempt your last name, and I'm going to call you a liar. <laughs> I'm gonna edit that I don't out. think he's buying us a coffee. Greg was about to buy us a coffee, and then we called him a liar and didn't even try his last name. He had his credit card out like, I made it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy these guys a coffee. <laughs> and then I can't even 
Whatever. What is his last name, Gary? Let's give it your best shot. Okapa. Okapa. I'm gonna yeah, see, I would probably say like Ochipa or something like <laughs> Ochipo. <laughs> that would be way worse. Man, Boy, I'm so glad we didn't skip the fish photo. Man, <laughs> we're killing it. Just ask us. We're killing it. All right. Billy's best takeaway. I'm coming back to you for Billy's best takeaway. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Captain Alan Kane of Sightfish NC. We're going to be talking about sight fishing red drum in Louisiana marshes. I've talked to you about your gig down there several times. Looking forward to talking to you about more detail. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Again, a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I've played with the idea of going down there and visiting you myself. haven't been able to pull the trigger, but maybe at the conclusion of this talk, I'll find the right motivation. But uh, before we talk about sight fishing redfish in Louisiana marshes, as is tradition on the Fisherman's Post podcast, I've got two questions for you. When you tell me you're ready, Alan, I'll give you question number one. Ready when you are. All right, Alan. First question, why should any of us listen to anything you have to say about a redfish? Uh, probably shouldn't, but <laughs> um, no, I've been I've been redfishing for since I moved to Wilmington, so about 16 years ago, I guess, um, and been coming down to Louisiana for the last eight years. So I think March will be year 12 of guiding in Wilmington, so... I'd say I spend quite a bit of time chasing redfish each year. All right. That question passes. We will move on to question number two. And as tradition goes, it's a non-fishing related question. Are you ready for question number two, Alan? Ready as I'm going to get. It is a trivia question. It's actually a Bible question. I have no idea what your religious affiliation is, but can you tell me who the first murderer in history was? Uh, Cain. How about that? I played on your last name. How predictable uh, I mean, was that? Couldn't have made it any easier. <laughs> I, I, I even gave you the Bible reference. I should have pulled <laughs> off the Bible reference. That question. I didn't know where it was going. Uh, I got a follow-up just because that was so easy. Ugh. True, false. Cain was a fisherman. Oh, I'm just going to say false. He was a farmer. Man, you're two and oh. You are killing it. That was, that was a you, guess. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You're not a Bible scholar that was a guest. Well, I tell you what, let's get let's get to sight fishing, redfish in Louisiana marshes. And again, my vision for this special uh, travel episode of our podcast series is sort of picturing getting on the boat and sort of telling us what to expect from a guest on the boat perspective. So we'll talk later about getting to Louisiana and staying and eating. But right now, um, as far as meeting you, where am I meeting you to hop on your boat to start for a day of sight casting? Um, so we typically meet at a, a marina here. Um, it's called Hopedale Marina. It's pretty much the only thing around this area. I mean, they're at the very end of the road, this long peninsula, um, kind of in the middle of nowhere. But uh, usually I have guys meet there. It's a huge parking lot, plenty of places to park, uh, boats, trailers, vehicles. Um, and all the other guides meet there as well, as well all the recreational fishermen. And so just for reference, because Louisiana is expansive, we are the landmark in the middle of nowhere, but the closest landmark for people to get reference of where we're talking about would be? Uh, so from New Orleans, it's about 45 minutes southeast of downtown. 
Okay, man. And so what's the scenery like? If I'm hopping on your boat, getting ready to pull away, like what, and I'm looking around, what am I seeing? Uh, literally nothing. Um, <laughs> there, there's, there's a single road from basically the town of Chalmette to the marina. And on both sides of the road, there's nothing but canals and marsh. Uh, there's a handful of houses and a lot of little seafood markets where they unload the shrimp trawlers, the oyster boats, the crab boats, all that stuff. Um, but you are truly in the middle of nowhere here. Um, so, so much so that literally they have to load the trucks in the middle of the road. Um, there's no, there's nowhere to pull off the road in most places. What about my water view, man? Is it looking anything like my backwaters of North Carolina? Um, it's similar grass. We have a lot of Spartina grass, but uh, there's no there's no tree lines. There's no houses like you would think about Wilmington, Wrightsville Beach, those areas. Uh, it's mostly uh, houses and trailers on stilts. And when I say on stilts, like the house I'm in now, we're probably 30 feet up in the air. Um, it floods <laughs> so right. bad here, so everything is up really high. And uh, prior to meeting you on the boat, you have advised me that I should bring what for our day of sight fish and redfish? Um, so I actually keep a little text on my phone that I just copy and paste everyone. It's, um, you'll need a, a fishing license, whether you go with a guide or on your own. Um, and then I'll let everyone know, you know, the whole rundown about lunches and, um, you know, ice cooler. I've got all that stuff. Um, I just have people bring whatever food they want and a fishing license and we're good to go. How much is that li fishing license going to cost me? Um, a single day non-resident, I think, is seventeen per day. But if you go with a fishing guide, it's um, you can buy it in three day increments, and it's ten dollars. Okay, man. So I'm on the boat, and you know, as far as your mentality goes, as far as your approach goes, how do you figure out where we're going to head? It seems like there's what I imagine because I've never been down there. It's, it's imagine like lots of water, lots of possibilities. Everything looks fishy. How are you figuring out our game plan for this day? Well, it, it's compared to the North Carolina coast, it's about 50 times larger. Um, it's a massive, massive expanse of marsh here. So it's a little intimidating at first when you look at it on like a map or your GPS. But um, coming from the East Coast, if you have any experience looking for redfish or any of the other flat species, you'll have no issue finding fish here. Um, you just look for the same kind of things you would look for on the East Coast, anywhere that can concentrate fish, like a creek mouth, a pond, a, um, a shoreline that has a lot of contour to it where the fish travel, um, anything like that to help narrow down your search area. And what is it that you're referencing when you talk about a pond might hold fish? Um, so what we call ponds here, or all the locals call ponds, are basically anywhere off of a major body of water that has a little creek or canal that leads into an enclosed area. Um, sometimes they'll be 20 yards wide and sometimes they'll be 500 yards wide. Um, but most are very shallow and usually full of mud, oysters, and then some areas that has a lot of grass in the, on the bottom. And I should have asked this up front, like what time of year are we talking about? Like if I'm, if I'm listening to this podcast, and thinking, all right, I'm going to process this. Is this a trip I want to do? Um, the part of the season that we're talking about in this podcast is when? Uh, so I typically am here November through January. 
Um, I come down in the winter months, um, as well as most every other guide here. Uh, you know, their fishery is good year-round in Louisiana. As much as I hate to admit it, it really blows the East Coast away. It's no comparison. Um, but I do the winter months here because that's when the water is the cleanest, and that's when you have the best ability to sight fish those big adult redfish in very shallow water. And and what about temperature-wise? Am I on your boat in shorts? You know, this year's been kind of weird. Uh, it's been very, very warm until the last two days. It was freezing on the water today and rainy. But most of the time, November, December, it can be anywhere from mid-40s to mid-70s. And it can change over the course of the day, just like North Carolina. Very, very similar weather to North Carolina in the winter. All right. So I am approaching this trip again, like someone might be thinking they're going to tow their boat down there and do this trip themselves out to the middle of nowhere. But, you know, my vision again is talking to you about hopping on your boat. And I, I hope people, of course, I hope people do give you a call. So to go back to like our game plan, which is really your game plan for the day, like I'm not really sure what follow-up questions to ask. Like if the wind's blowing a certain way and certainly we're not talking about, Hey, Billy's going to bring up, you know, a Google earth map and we're, I'm going to ask you to start pointing to stuff. I mean, I <laughs> certainly wouldn't play that game at all, but just trying to understand better, like the habitats down there, that would be possibilities for you to fish. I mean, I, I sort I certainly followed Creek mass. I enjoyed, you know, learning the pond vocabulary and contour shorelines I mean, is this, is everything in like two, anything that we might fish, is it all going to be like two foot of water? Is it going to be all of it going to have grass on the bottom? Like what, what are the possibilities? Yeah. So to kind of give you the basic rundown of the marsh here, it's, it's quite a bit different than the East coast and that the tides are significantly different. Um, you know, back on the East coast, you can look at a tide chart and if you know how to read it, you can you know what the tide's going to be a week from now just by adding an hour each day uh, or close to an hour. Here, the tides are drastically different. They, um, they average about a foot or so. I mean, some days you don't even notice the water moving at all. Very similar to the Pamlico Sound, a lot of wind-driven tide. So, and the bottom structure here, it's mostly soft mud in most areas. There's a little bit of sand in a certain places, um, some grass bottom in certain places, but mostly mud. Um, and the average depth in the open water stuff that we fish is probably around five feet. And you might have stretches of water that are 15 miles wide that's averages five feet or less. Um, but typically, you know, we're trying to focus on that like foot to two foot of water depth so we can see the best. So when I look at a, um, a day on the water, I'm looking at, you know, wind direction, wind speed, uh, where the wind was the day before or a few days before. And that lets me know how the water moves here, like the dirty water. And it seems like the trick of fishing Louisiana is just finding the clean water. Uh, it helps when you're here every day and, uh, and talk to a lot of the other guides and we kind of share info on clean water. But um, I usually start each day by looking at weather, wind, and I make a game plan based on that. Or I look at what the day before was and how that water was moving through an area. And that helps me determine where I go each day. Um, uh, as far as the tides and the ponds and the little coves, um, because the tides are so marginal, you, you're not forced out of an area as quickly as you are on the East coast. Um, however, if you do get stuck here 
and the wind stays out of a certain direction, you may not get out. The water might not come in that, that day or the next day. Um, it actually can hold all the water out of an area. Unlike on the East Coast, no matter how hard the wind's blowing, that tide's coming in and out regardless. It may be smaller, but it's coming in and out. Here, it's a little bit different. So best piece of advice here is don't get stuck. <laughs> um, all right, I follow yeah, that. It's, um, so it's, Sorry, I, I lost you there. What was that? Uh, no problem. I was just uh, listening to the answer. I follow the advice of, you know, don't get stuck. So as far as finding clean water, it sounds to me like, I mean, I'm guessing here, I mean, you can correct me, for up here in my North Carolina state of mind, it's mostly like, has it rained? What about the runoff? Has it rained inland? Has it rained on the coast? And wind as well, but rain and then maybe wind. So for you guys... You're also paying attention to rain, but really wind is the game. Like that's the main variable. Yeah, the wind definitely plays a factor. Um, if you get three or four days of consistent wind, um, it, it kind of keeps certain areas clean. Uh, it's when that wind rotates. And unfortunately, this is the time of year as well as the spring. Um, I used to actually spend a few months here in the spring as well. And, you know, this is the time of year where the wind can switch directions over the course of the day or throughout the week. And what it does, it's because the bottom is so soft here, it just churns it all up. And when it's shallow water and blowing 25, it makes the water dirty. Well, then the tide comes in and out or the wind switches and then it pushes the dirty water in another area or just makes everything dirty. So then you're having to really venture out of where you've been fishing or um, you got to kind of hit new areas or sometimes just, you have to go shallower just to find clean water. All right. So if I know that this answer varies, but I'll ask it anyway, I'm on the boat. We've pulled away the typical run before we start fishing is how far? Um, well, I'd say an average day, I'll probably do 60 to 70 miles round trip. Um, that's the run out fishing, but I would say most days it's probably a 30 to 40 minute boat ride. Um, probably in that 10 to 20 mile range, depending on where, what area I'm trying to get to. Um, and then you have days like today where the weather is horrible and it's raining and cold. So we only probably ran about six or seven miles from the ramp. All right. On a normal day where I'm running the 30, 30 to 40 minutes and, uh, you can pick, you can pick for this scenario, what, what type of, what type of area we're going to fish. Uh, we pull off plane and we are close to the area where you're thinking we are going to start looking for them. Tell me what happens next. Like what, what can I expect? Well, usually when I pull up to, well, it kind of depends on the kind of fisherman I have. Um, I do a lot of fly fishing trips. I do a lot of sight fishing on um, light tackle, spin gear. So if I have somebody fly fishing, we're, we're looking. I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to okay. say, don't, we're not going to talk fly fishing. Okay. I'm, I'm a fan, but we're going to keep it simple. I like a, I like a specific topic. So talk to me about spin casting, you know, sight casting with spinners. Okay. Yep. So in that case, then, um, if I have somebody that just wants to sight cast to the fish, then, um, I'm typically going to find an area where there's more tide flow. So it's going to kind of concentrate the fish more, even though the tides are very marginal here, it definitely affects how these fish swim through an area. Um, they, they honestly act more like tarpon than they act like uh, redfish or redfish in other states. Uh, these big fish tend to travel with the tide. So 
a lot of times I'm looking for areas that are going to funnel fish in when they come out of the Gulf. Um, a lot of the open marsh we fish here, it's literally open to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, you can go around one corner and there's nothing there for the next hundred miles, just open Gulf. Um, so I'm typically fishing an area that's going to concentrate them a little bit more like a point or, you know, the creek mouth stuff, like I mentioned earlier, but there's also a lot of hidden structure underwater here. Um, Historically, this was all like cypress swamps from when the Mississippi River came out here. And so there's a lot of submerged logs and stumps that you won't see a tree for 50 miles or 20 miles, but underwater, there'll be a stump that has a six foot diameter. So those fish love to hang around that structure. So if you find that area, usually you're going to find some fish around that black drum, sheep's head, redfish. So we'll kind of look for that stuff. Um, but more so when I pull up to a spot that day, I look at the water clarity and the conditions we have, and then I base what I'm going to use based on those conditions, whether we're going to throw, you know, something that makes noise, something that's brighter, darker. So it's all about, really, it comes down to water clarity. And you have, what's ideal, me and one other person, two people on the boat, and we're both up in the front of the boat, and are you... Is this a trolling motor situation or is this a polling situation? Um, so typically, um, yeah, one to two people, like two max. Um, that's all we do on the flats boats because it's all shallow water stuff. And even if we're fishing deeper water, the ability to pull the boat and control it. So um, you can use a trolling motor and a lot of guys do use a trolling motor, but I pull about 95% of the time, even though I have a trolling motor on the boat. I can just get closer and control the boat more precisely with the push pole than you can with the trolling motor, um, especially in a situation where the fish are really close to the boat and can sense that vibration. Um, even though these fish are way less educated than any other redfish anywhere else in the nation, uh, they're still sensitive to sound. And a lot of people chase them around with trolling motors, even here. So if you could sneak up on the fish, your chances go up drastically. So I'm usually polling. And so I know that you could talk, we could finish the podcast with this question, but to give me the quick rundown, you know, you're putting me up in the front and just a quick, if the water is dirty, you're putting, or the different scenarios about what you would put in my hand, just some specifics about what you might hang, hand me to start the casting process. Yeah. So typically I throw like, um, like we're throwing like seven foot, like, uh, medium action, medium heavy action rods. Cause these are, we're mostly targeting those 20 to 40 pound redfish and black drum. Um, we're typically not even throwing at a fish under 10 pounds. If it's a good weather day, we won't even cast at a fish under 10 pounds. Just let them swim away. Um, we're hunting those big fish. If it's bad weather, we'll throw at whatever we see, but usually like a 4,000 size reel. Um, and I fish 20 pound braid just for the casting ability, being able to get distance. Um, but the quick rundown that I get of everyone is, is how to, how to approach that fish. So in the sight fishing world, it's all about how the lure approaches the fish. When you're blind casting, it's a guess. But when you're sight casting, it's all about the angle. You want the fish to think that he found that lure. So I'll go up front and I'll usually give someone a casting lesson as far as like how to drop that lure, how to twitch it, how to swim it into the fish's zone, then make it jump in the water and get that reaction bite. So once I go over all that stuff, I'll have them make a bunch of practice casts and then we'll start looking for them. If water's dirty and we can't see them, I'll have them throw a lot of blind casts or I'll have one guy blind casting in the middle of the boat and then one guy up front ready to cast and sight cast to a fish when we see one. 
All right, so how are we going to have you explain to me, to my viewers and listeners, about the right angle when you see a red drum, a redfish? Um, so I'm just going to use a couple of lures here just to kind of give you an idea. So like, Perfect. I'm going to use a big topwater plug just as a, an idea. For, this is the redfish here. And um, sorry, okay. I'm confused. All right, so hold on. It'll be from your, coming from your right to your left. Okay, so if this is your lure you're throwing, I'm going to use a, I'm gonna use a smaller one just to get a better idea. So you're throwing this to this, to this fish. Okay, so right. typically it's a little hard of an angle to see on the camera, but I'm gonna <laughs> lead. I'm gonna have somebody throw it in front of the fish, but not just in front, because these fish change directions a lot when they're swimming. So I'm gonna have them throw it in front, but also past the fish, and that re that way, if the fish changes direction, you're still in front of the fish. Now, if the fish speeds up, you can always speed it up. But the goal is to intercept that fish with your lure. If you make him see it, he'll eat it. I'm of the belief, I know everybody in the fishing world has their own opinion about how fish react and tides and weather and stuff like that. But from my opinion, East Coast or Gulf Coast, it doesn't matter. If you make a redfish see it and you make them think they found it, you can make that fish eat. Um, and it doesn't happen any more so than here in Louisiana. If you find a fish here and you present the lure right, they will eat it 100% of the time. All right, so I, I want to unpack some of that. I'm I'm in. I'm I'm really. I thought you did a great yeah. job, by the way, on camera. I, um, that was. We have people that fumble just putting a lure on the camera. Place. No, you did great. That I'm not. I'm completely sincere when I say this. So, what is my instruction? If you say cast it out a little bit past, and you know, and then that redfish sees it. I mean, is am I to let it drop? Am I to give it a pop? Like, what is the instruction for cause? You know, for me creating the reaction of, oh no, the, my bait has been seen by a redfish. Exactly. Okay. So that's glad you asked that. Cause that's what I go over every single day as well um, with people. And um, the best way I've learned to explain it is if you like, it's a little hard to do with camera, but if you were to take this and just pull it by the camera real slow, you know, you see it, but you don't notice as much as if I take it and twitch it really hard, like give it a little pop, make it jump in the water. If you watch any prey predator reaction, whether it's on land or in the water, the moment that prey sees a predator, his immediate reaction is to jump, and then he may swim away. So these fish here have unlimited amount of food. There's more crabs, there's more shrimp and um, bait fish than you can ever imagine here in Louisiana. That's why the fishery is so amazing. So that fish is not gonna go out of his way to eat something that looks healthy. It's just too much energy. He can swim 10 more feet and eat a different crab or a bait fish. So what I have someone do is I will swim the lure into the fish's vision, once I know that he can pick up on that lure, then give it a sudden twitch. Make that lure jump in the water, and a lot of times you'll see the fish pick up on that out of his peripheral vision, more so than in front of him. And you'll see the instant reaction. The moment he reacts, then start working that lure. Keep twitching it, start reeling it, do whatever it takes to keep his attention. But the goal is to give it that sudden hard twitch. And that goes for redfish anywhere. It goes for tarpon, it goes for any major flat species. You're trying to make it, you're trying to draw the reaction bite, basically. What about um, if I, if we come up on a fish that isn't conveniently facing across the bow in like a perpendicular way, but it's actually facing, looking away from us, we're coming up on its tail, then what am I going to do with this bait? So that's a really good question because that happens very often. You know, head on and crossing shots are the easiest, of course, but the going away shot, um, it's it's probably the hardest shot you'll have on fly or spin or any any situation like that. 
Luckily for redfish, they're a lot more forgiving fish. Um, typically, with spinning gear, if I'm throwing something that's not very intrusive, like a topwater plug or spinner bait, if we're just throwing a soft plastic, I'll have them throw it right over the fish. Like if the fish is coming at you, I'll have them throw it over the fish and then swim it high over the fish. Or I'll have them throw it off to the side, like maybe at the fish is like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock area, and then give it a twitch. And that sudden twitch will make the fish turn. If I'm throwing something like a topwater plug or a gold spoon or a chatterbait, something that's loud and really intrusive in the water, then I'm going to always have them throw it off to the sides. If you throw it and pull it directly at that fish, you risk spooking them every single time. Um, here in Louisiana, you can get away with spooking them because they'll probably still eat it anyways after they've spooked. But for the most part, the louder or more intrusive the lure, the more off to the side I'll have them throw the lure. And so what is the typical school that we're seeing down there? Are we seeing schools of, I mean, I know it varies. I'm sure, I'm guessing it varies, but like pretty standard is like, you're going to come up on a school of 20 fish, of five fish, of 50 fish. You know, earlier in the year, you're more likely to come across the groups of fish. Like when I first get here at the end of October, you will sometimes run into groups of 20 to 30. I mean, sometimes a hundred plus fish and all in that 20 to 40 pound range. Um, but typically on an average day, I would say it's mostly singles or groups of two or three at most. Um, sometimes you'll be crossing open water and you'll bump into a big group. But for the most part, it's singles or doubles. And if my buddy hooks up, if we see a double or a triple, my buddy hooks up. Are you telling me to cast to that same little pod or is it, man, let him fight his fish. We'll get you next time. So it's funny you ask that question because that is... There's something that happens here that doesn't happen anywhere else, at least from my experience. Um, most redfish, you know, when they're younger, if you hook one out of a group, uh, it's like every man for himself. If they see their buddy hooked up, they're running. They're running for their life. These big adult fish, uh, they're, they're not as spooked. They don't have any really predators here. Um, maybe a big shark, but there's not many sharks this time of year. Uh, the dolphins seem to just go right around them and ignore the, the bigger fish. So whenever I have somebody hook a fish, the moment they hook, I'll have the other guy throwing around that hooked fish right away just to see if there's another one. If we don't see one, you know, there could be one there. But more so, when that fish runs away from the boat and runs out to open water and thrashes around, it's like, it's like a fish call. It's amazing how often this happens. When he goes out there and thrashes, he'll bring two or three buddies back with him sometimes. And if you watch that hooked fish, you'll see the other fish swimming under the hook fish, kind of right on his tail. Sometimes they'll be biting his face, trying to pull the lure out of his mouth, but usually they'll be swimming right under the hook fish. And if I just have someone throw it over the hook fish, let it fall, let the hook fish swim out of the way, give it one twitch, and we double up that way. More so doubles that way than any other way. And uh, if my line touches like a secondary fish or even a primary fish, is a line, a line touch a deal breaker? Like that's... They're, not, they're a little spooked, at least momentarily. You know, it's so crazy here because I'm so used to fishing spooky East Coast redfish that uh, my first week here, it, I have to remind myself how aggressive these fish are. But I would say 70% of the fish we spook, if you make a good cast to that spooked fish, he will eat it. Um, they're, they have a very short-term memory here. I've had actually a couple times where we've hooked a fish, fought him to the boat, he came off, cast it back to that fish and eats it again right away. Um, so they're not very spooky here compared to anywhere else. It, 
It really will spoil you here, honestly. Um, man, this is I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm certainly getting excited. I'm imagining that viewers and listeners are getting excited too. I mean, this sounds like something you need to experience once, which is part of why we wanted to do a travel special travel feature. Um, so what else, man? What have I not asked about this fishery that you know that someone should know? whether they're thinking about going down there and trying it themselves or whether they're thinking like, I want to give this dude a call. Like I'm liking everything he's saying. So on a, on a sight fishing aspect of that question, you know, the sun is your best friend always. I don't care if you're in North Carolina, Florida, Mexico, Louisiana, wherever you are, the sun is your best friend. Um, so if you don't have sunlight, then you got to start relying on other things like, um, some nervous water or a head wake or a tail. Um, these fish, you know, when you're catching these 40 plus inch redfish in two feet of water, if he puts his heads down, his tail's coming up out of the water and it's pretty obvious. Um, so all those little subtle things we look for if we don't have sunlight. If you have sunlight, it honestly makes for a very easy day. Um, days like today, it was very tough. So we're having to get really close to the fish and just, um, my best piece of advice that I give everyone that calls me to book a trip, whether it's fly fishing, light tackle, it doesn't matter, is practice casting. And anybody can throw a long cast. It's can you throw a long cast accurately, quickly, and get that lure moving right away. So what I tell everyone is practice the cast, practice being able to close the bail, get your line tight, all those little things. Um, being able to slow your line down, make the lure land exactly where you want it. Those things are what make, it makes my day a lot easier, to be honest, but it'll make your day much better, too. Um, so, um, from a fishing aspect, you know, learning to pick up on the subtle things, like the movement um, the fish make in the water. But another um, subject on that, I mean, on the this topic is weather affects the fish, just like it does anywhere else. So, a big cold front rolling through you know, it's going to push those fish a little bit deeper. They're going to slide off the flat. You know, if we get a sudden temperature drop. Um, a couple days ago, I had 75 degree water temp, which is crazy for this time in December. Never seen that here. Um, but then, you know, today we had 58. So that was a big drop. So it basically pushed a lot of those fish off the shallow flats, off the little ledges and off the um, creek um, channels. So being willing to adjust if you're not seeing fish up shallow go look deep typically though they're swimming those transition lines um if you have a big pressure change it's going to make the fish a little more lethargic than they normally are consistent weather equals consistent fishing and i feel like i've been doing this long enough now overall that whether east coast or here is consistency is the name of the game if you get consistent weather consistent wind you're going to have a much better day. So if you're flexible, you know, play the weather. If you're not flexible when you come, then be willing to adjust. That's the hardest part. Some people will get so set on catching them one way and they're not willing to adjust and it, it ends up like making your day tougher. So willing to try different lures, willing to move fish in different areas or venture out of your comfort zone. That's probably my best advice. Okay, man. That, well, that was a great answer. It actually sparked a couple of questions, uh, follow-up questions for me. So when these fish move to deeper water, which we're calling, I guess, five feet, is water clarity such that I'm still seeing fish in five feet? Like, is it still clean enough to play that game? Days, it's just a little bit harder? Some days it can be very clear. I mean, it's, 
it's it's rare that it's North Carolina wintertime clear, um, just because of the water is so muddy here. I mean, the bottom is so muddy. Um, but there are some days you can see the bottom in like you know six to eight feet of water, um, and you can sight cast to them in really deep water. Uh, typically, in deep water situations, though, we're not looking for the fish on the bottom. We're looking for what we call floaters and. Probably a better way to say that is elevated fish, not floaters. They're not really on the surface, but they're they're midwater column or in the upper you know section of the water column. And you just look for a big orange glow. The, these redfish, when the sunlight hits them, they glow orange. Uh, the black drum here, and you know we're targeting those 20 to 50 pound black drum as well. And the black drum will kind of glow a golden color versus orange. And even the sheep's head float here. It's the weirdest thing. You'll be in four or five feet of water and you'll have a sheep's head that's floating up a foot from the surface. Very, very obvious. So in deep water, you can see them even on the muddy days, but typically I don't fish the muddy stuff unless the water's clear. Or All right, sorry, another one. Stuff unless the water's clear. Okay, I, I, I knew what you meant. I follow what you meant. All right, my other follow-up question is, you know, me and a buddy, we're up on the front. We're covering some water. Um Am I, see, am I only seeing fish that you point out or are your anglers pretty good at, you know, seeing their own opportunities? I would like to say that most people are good at seeing them, but I would say that 95% of the fish I have to point them out unless it's a really clear day or the fish are being or tailing or something. But it's, um, it's one of those things that you need sunglasses at all times. Even in the rain, I wear sunglasses. I have different color lenses for different days. Um, lighter the lens, the, I mean, the darker the day, the lighter the lens, but, um, and I'll change midday sometimes. Um, but it's, it's definitely an acquired skill. You know, once you learn to pick up on the subtle colors and the movements, um, you'll start picking up on them more, but I would say that 90% of the fish or more, I have to point them out. And when you do point them out, are we, we, me, the angler, are we still pretty good at seeing it? Or sometimes it's just a matter of send it about. 30 yards at two o'clock? Um, if it's a clear, sunny day, most people will pick up on it. Um, if it's a cloudy, overcast day, I'll have to talk them into the fish. And um, it's a little bit easier on fly to do that for short casts. On spin gear, if you go too far or you're off, you got to reel it in really quickly. But usually what we go with when they're sight fishing game is, and this goes for anywhere you go, is um, I'll kind of use my phone as an example, or I'll use this follow the water as an example, you know, imagine a clock face, the very tip of the boat's always 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 1, 2, 3, 4. So typically when I see a fish, I'll tell someone, I'm like, okay, 11 o'clock, 40 feet, and that'll get them looking in the right area. Unfortunately, in the heat of the moment, everybody tends to be looking a little bit off, so I always have someone point their rod. Um, and by pointing their rod, I can really get them pointing in the right area and then talk them in the fish from there. If it's a situation where they just can't see it regardless, I'll just get them pointed in the right area and I'll have them throw a long cast, rod tip up, reel the lure up high where I can keep track of the lure in the water. And then when it gets in the general vicinity of the fish, I'll have them stop it, let the lure fall, and then twitch it and make get the fish to eat it. I follow that. Hey, what is the uh, regulations down there? I mean, is this all sport fishing? Is this all game fish? Or, or is anyone taking a redfish home for the table? Um, most 99% of the people I fish here are only here for a couple days, three or four days at most. So nobody really, we don't kill them at all here. Um, when we're mostly targeting the adult fish too, which we won't kill anyways. However, in Louisiana, you can kill an overslot redfish. Um, very few people do it, but it is allowed here. 
Um, I think the redfish limit is five per day. One can be over slot. Um, I think it's 18 to 28 inches, I believe. I don't really kill them here, so I don't really know. I don't keep up with it. Um, but I know it's five fish per day for redfish, and it's 25 trout per person if you wanted to trout fish. So crazy trout limits. And then uh, the people who come down to fish with you, I'm guessing they don't come that far for one day. Most people are booking a couple of days. Yeah, I would say the average person does three days. Some guys will do six or seven days. Some guys will do two, but I would say three is usually average. Um, and then you get a handful of guys that are coming to town for, you know, for a game, you know, the stadium, the Superdome's right downtown, or um, they want to come visit New Orleans for a day or two with their spouse or friends. So you'll get a few guys that come for a day, but typically three days. That way you're more likely to get a good weather window. I follow that. All right. So now for my standard kind of travel questions. Um, again, I'm guessing that most people are just going to come down and book you, but if I was of the frame of mind to pull my boat from North Carolina, that would be roughly how many hour drive of pulling my boat? Well, if you time it right and don't get stuck in Atlanta traffic, then it's, it can be pretty quick. But, um, I would, I mean, it's easier, I should say, not quick, but I would say it takes me about 14 hours normally to get here. Um, I stop a little more often with the boat just to check everything, you know, burn a little more gas, of course, with the boat. So I would figure on 14 hours towing a boat. And another travel question, um, whether I'm bringing a boat or I'm coming to fish with you, how do you advise me as far as accommodations, man? Where am I going to spend the night? Um, so there's basically four or five different options. And this is, I'll give you the quick little rundown. Um, a lot of guys that I fish with stay at a houseboat lodge near the marina. Um, it's called the Dogwood Lodge. It's a pretty cool little houseboat. It's an old Coast Guard boat. They did a huge, like, million-dollar-plus renovation to it. Dip, I mean, to it, And um, I think it sleeps 14 people. But it fills up pretty quick between hunters and, I mean, duck hunters and fishermen. Um, the, and they cook you a breakfast, fix you a lunch, and fix a, a nice dinner each night. Um, and you can, guides will pick you up right on the boat. Uh, the other option, there's some houses here to rent. There's probably half a dozen houses in this area to rent and quite a few RVs as well um, that you can rent for a few days. The downside is there's zero restaurants, no gas stations. There's nothing in this area at all. So you've got to drive 25 to 30 minutes to get food or you have to bring it with you. Um, the other option is there's a town about 30 minutes away called Chalmette and it's just outside of New Orleans. Uh, there's a Holiday Inn and a Best Western there, which is probably the two top hotels for the fishermen that come and duck hunters that come to this area. Um, there's a handful of good restaurants there, um, one called Mimi's. And uh, it's they're closed on Mondays, but every other night of the week they're open. And um, it's pretty good. They have a really good oyster bar and they have a lot of different seafood dishes. Probably the nicest restaurant in Chalmette. Um, there's a couple other handful smaller restaurants there, but definitely recommend Mimi's if you're in Chalmette. And then the last option would be New Orleans, of course. Uh, it's about a 45-minute drive to the boat ramp um, if you don't get any traffic. Uh, to the airport, it's about an hour. Um, but there's unlimited hotel options in downtown New Orleans, lots of Airbnbs, lots of houses. Uh, the nightlife, of course, a lot of guys come down so they can spend a few nights in New Orleans on Bourbon Street and see the music and go to the bars. Um, and the restaurants there is the two reasons you come to Louisiana. Well, three. The duck hunting, the food, and the fishing. Um, it's second to none. But uh, there's a lot of great restaurants and, you know, a couple that I've been to that are in the city there that are really good. 
um, that aren't too crazy are um, like GW fins, uh, Redfish Grill I've actually never been to, but a lot of the anglers I've fished with lately have been there and said it was really good. Uh, there's a place called Giacomo's. It's like a little French Cajun restaurant uh, up near uptown part of New Orleans. It's really good food. Um, you're going to have a little wait if you go there, but there's a bar next door so you can hang out while you're waiting on your table. Um, and then, of course, there's a handful of really nice restaurants in town. Um, the downside with the nice restaurants is they do require you to wear a jacket. You can't go. You can go in with jeans, but you have to have a, like a sport coat or like a, a dress coat, like a jacket, to get in. Um, sometimes they'll give you one at the door to wear. But uh, definitely, highly recommend hitting New Orleans for a night if you come down, just to experience the food and the nightlife. You got to see Bourbon Street at least once in your life. All right. Well, let me ask you this: If I were to stay in New Orleans, it wouldn't be for bars and restaurants. Of course, it would be for museums. But if I were to stay in New Orleans, and that was my attempt at a joke, man, we've been talking about sight fishing. So I forgot to ask: Like, am I meeting you early in the morning, or we don't need to meet early because we actually need some sun? Yeah, typically we meet at eight every day. Um, if if I know the weather is going to be bad in the afternoon, we may start a little earlier just to get a head start. But typically, I meet at eight every day. Um, I don't play the tides here like I play the tides on the East Coast. Uh, the tides are so marginal here that I can find shallow water and find fish regardless of the tide here. Um, so you usually meet at 8, um, let the sun get up a little bit. This is the time of year where it's usually colder, so you want it to warm up a little bit. Um, and then usually we're back at the dock around 4, 4.30 each day. You start losing sunlight around 4 this time of year, so or 3.30, so it's um, not really worth fishing later. All right, man. Well, here, here's my final question for you. For the person who saw, listened to this podcast and thought, yeah, that sounds great. But right now, Louisiana is out of reach. But I really like this dude. Alan, tell us a little bit about your nine months on North Carolina. Give me the quick highlight reel of what you're doing when you're back here on the East Coast in North Carolina. Um, so, yeah, I, f I live in Wilmington, but I basically fish everywhere from Topsail Island all the way to Oak Island. Um, just, to, again, the same deal. It depends on you know, weather, wind, tides, and where people are staying as well. Um, so one day I may be to the north, the next day I may be 70 miles south. And I kind of live in the middle near Wrightsville Beach, so I can go, I trailer both my boats and go either direction. Um, so mostly fishing redfish there as well, um, the slot size redfish. And then, um, and then of course, all the other species like, you know, trout, flounder, jacks, all that stuff as well. Um, a little bit of nearshore stuff. I have a bay boat as well, so I'll do some nearshore stuff in the, um, in the summer and fall. Um, but basically I, I base each day on what people want to do. So my, when somebody calls or emails me, the first thing I ask is what kind of fishing do you want to do and what your experience level is. And based on that, I will kind of put a game plan together. Now we may have to change on the water, but I'll put a game plan together based on that. And, um, so that's how I determine my normal day on the water. Man, Alan, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We've talked briefly about Louisiana, but man, getting more in depth, man, uh, my kids are getting older. Perhaps, perhaps my Louisiana window is opening and this was my push to actually commit to something, man. I appreciate your time talking about it. I'm sure other people have enjoyed it as well, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Alan. Uh, I'll see you soon enough. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Gary. Later, man. Billy Thorpe. I don't know. What's your experience with New Orleans, Billy? I don't have any. I was sitting here thinking like, dang, that's on my list. I got to put it on my bucket list because I'm not. A company trip. I think the podcast yeah. should pay for you and I to go to New Orleans yeah. and then go fish in three days with Alan Kane. 
That sounds good. So if you want to sponsor the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You want to sponsor I want Louisiana to, to sponsor the show. Call Louisiana Tourism and tell them we've got a great idea for them. <laughs> you know what? Depends on how big the sponsorship is. There might be room for three. You know. <laughs> anyway, well, man, what about good fun. Billy's best takeaway? Man, I think you know a couple things. One, Louisiana fishing sounds super fun. Uh, it sounds like my kind of fishing, maybe a touch easier than some spots. Uh, but I think when he was talking about how to cast the bait and present it to the fish, you know, I think in fresh or you know salt water i've more versed in fresh water but in salt water like i always have a challenge with like man where do i put this bait how do i get it to them um so i think you know make them see it and then do that one good twitch and then if they're on it then you can you know start really working it so i thought that was pretty cool to you know figure out what the bait's doing what it's acting like and then you know present that injured bait versus just kind of doing what i do which is i don't really have a method so so yeah, I love the idea of like multiple chances so you can really dial in your presentation. You can actually see repeatedly like what's working, what's not working, mm -hmm. what's working even better, and then test your theory. And I mean, that's what I like the idea of like, and then the challenge of like, all right, now this fish is swimming away. Can I pull this off? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in on this trip, man. I, I'm, I'm totally in on this trip actually. Yeah, when he was talking about those fish being kind of uh, dumb, for lack of a better word, and like one slipping off at the boat, I'm like, that's what always happens. The biggest fish I have always gets <laughs> off right at the boat. So if I get a second shot, here we go. <laughs> here story. we go. That's your fish, man. That's my story. That's, that's what we've been looking. <laughs> we need you on the dumbest fish that we can find, and suddenly Billy's a better angler. That's right, man. Like, what are the what are the fish who don't care? Like, I need those fish because I suck at fishing, so. That's why I started a podcast, well, Gary. <laughs> well, I tell you what, before we start counting what sponsors we could sign to get us to Louisiana, I think we should thank our current yeah. sponsors for making this po episode possible. What do you say? Absolutely. So Marine Warehouse Center, uh, been on since early, early. I think, I don't know how many episodes we're out now, but um, pushing close to a hundred and they came on, believed in the podcast. So we really appreciate those guys. Uh, so go check them out. They're in Wellington, North Carolina. Also have a shop in Charleston and then they ship worldwide as well. So it's not just uh, those two locations, but if you need something, they can get it to you. They can ship it to you. And then Bland Landscaping Co. came on again for uh, some episodes with us. So we really appreciate them. And they are looking for people that are really outdoors minded, love to spend time outdoors and really looking for a career. So they have locations all over North Carolina. Go to their website, uh, blandlandscaping.com and go to careers section and see if they got something for you. Cause they're, they're big in the family, big into fishing. They reach out to us. They're big fans of the podcast and want people on their team that are excited uh, about going to work early, getting off early and getting on the boat, get going, you know, going fishing. So I support those yeah. two sponsors. Yeah, man. I'm proud of our sponsors too, man. I, I think they both fit well. I think I like what they're both all about and, and I love that they've aligned themselves with us, our podcast. And I hope our podcast is doing them right because I think yeah. they're a great fit. So I hope we're helping both of them out. Yeah, absolutely. Gary. Absolutely, man. Well, it was great. Thank you so much, Alan, again, for coming on the show. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Fisherman.